Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal. This is Johnny Z, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. Welcome to Melty Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. This is episode 270, and uh, unfortunately, we, uh, we lost a great, a great man in the metal world, Mr. Johnny Z, so we're going uh, to remember him on this episode and uh, take a listen back to our interview with him from August of 2020. Yeah, we were lucky enough to, uh, we actually got a call from, or an email, I believe, from his manager at the time, who reached out to us saying that he wanted to talk to us about his book, which was called, which is called Heavy Tales with Johnny Z. For those of you joining us for the first time, Ethan and I are professional musicians. We get together every week to talk about our favorite metal band, the Mighty Metallica. And uh, this was about a year and a half ago that his manager reached out to to help us promote his book. Um, he passed away on February 1st, age 69, and he was the founder of Megaforce Records, which he founded, I believe, because of the No Life to Leather demo. The cassette made its way to him. I think maybe Brian Slagle had sent it to him. And he loved the band. He started Megaforce, and he would go on to book their first tour with Raven. He brought him out to New York. He put him up in his house, which apparently, according to some lore, they trashed while they were there. <laughs> he got him hooked up with the Anthrax Boys when their gear got stolen. Put out Kill 'Em All and Ride the Lightning. Huge, huge part of the, you know, the the first chapter of the band. Mm-hmm, agreed. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was it was such a pleasure chatting with him uh, back then. You know. Uh, Guys like that, you know, it, it makes me a little nervous to jump into an interview like that. He comes across as a bit, you know, a bit of a serious guy. He's from New York, all that stuff, and you know, so um, he couldn't have been kinder. You know, it was really fun to talk about his audiobook. And and for those listening that haven't listened to that, or uh, it's really a really fun listen. It's a great trip down Metallica memory lane. Yeah, it's worth checking out if you're interested in that that era of the band. Metallica put out a statement after Johnny Z passed away, that said, Heavy Music lost one of its great champions today when Johnny Z left this world far too soon. In 1982, when no one wanted to take a chance on four kids from California playing a crazy brand of metal, Johnny and his wife Marcia did, and the rest, as they say, is history. He was a mentor, manager, a label head, and a father figure to us all. Metallica would not be who we are or where we are today without John. Our love and sympathy go out to Johnny's children and his grandchildren, whom he cherished and brought to our shows from the time they were in diapers. We hope they'll be able to take some comfort in knowing that he is reunited with Marsha and that he helped bring so much incredible music to so many. Hopefully there's a great show going on up there tonight to welcome you. Very cool. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, we figured we would, you know, remember him by putting out this episode from a year and a half ago that maybe some of you haven't heard or maybe haven't heard for a while as a tribute. And in the meantime, we're going to knock out a little bit of housekeeping. The boys announced that they are already starting to collect uh, content for the load and reload deluxe box set. Yeah, pretty crazy. You th- you, so you, uh, I don't know. Do you think they're gonna just release one box set for both records? Well, here's what their actual statement said. You know, they sent out an email to all the fifth members that said, "We're looking for anything and everything you might have from August 1995 through September 1998. Live photos taken by you or snaps from a meet and greet, flyers, ticket stubs, backstage passes, 
and whatever other mementos you may have from that time, I'm going to guess they're going to just put it all together in one Mm -hmm. thing. Now, there's definitely an argument to be made from a business standpoint that they can make more money by making two of them, but I don't know if there's enough content for two. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I mean... You know, as far as we know, like you know, the songs that are on the record is everything they recorded. I don't know if there's, you know, then like we've talked about in the past, they're not the kind of band to like hang on to, you know, hidden tracks or B sides and stuff like that. No, to release there's later, definitely so. there's definitely no new songs. There's no songs sitting around, right? So it, the question just is: there documentary footage? They're up there. I mean, they're going to definitely grab some shows that maybe we've never heard and put them together, maybe throw one show on vinyl from the Poor Retouring Me Tour, which I think was the best tour. But we already have Cunning Stunts, which is a great document of the yeah, for sure. poor, you know, poor Touring Me Tour. Um, it's hard to know. that We're starting to get into the era where it's like remasters don't make sense, um, remixes don't make sense, and there's a lot of documentation. But a lot of the Black Album goodies were really cool. I mean, mm-hmm. we, ha- we have the Load Reload demos. So, I mean, I guess those will be there. If there are additional riff tapes or development tapes, I mean, one of the things that they put on all these CDs is like them just playing the songs instrumentally. I yeah, don't know for how sure. interesting that is, but the Black Album one had just a lot of different shows. Right, right. Yeah, and then obviously we're in an era now, uh, as far as like when these records came out, that everything's being documented, everything's being recorded. You know, it's so there, there's, I'm sure, plenty to choose from, and I'm sure, you know, they'll, you know, they're, they're going to kick ass at it. I mean, all these box sets are. There's a lot of TLC that goes into them, and, and every every single one that's come out so far is really special, and I think this will be no different. I'll tell you what I would love to see is I would love to see a, uh, a, a sit-down interview, and maybe Stefan Shirazi will do that for this, but like a, another roundtable-type discussion that just digs deep into the songs. Mm, like, what do cool. you Like, what do you remember about either the writing for James and Lars, I guess, or the recording for the rest of the band? What do you guys remember about this? Like, just anything. Bob, Get Bob Rock in there. Get Randy Staub in there. Um you know, uh, just a deep dive into the era. I don't think they've done that really. I mean, I guess they do those, what, they put the books together, which I know they did for the Justice one and the Black Album, where they sort of have everyone involved write a couple of pages. Mm-hmm. Remember, like even, um, uh, who's the dude who did, uh, Mike Clink even had a little blurb on the Justice one about right, his yeah. couple of weeks that he was in the studio with them. So maybe they'll do that, some cool pictures, a, uh, a DVD of all the videos, maybe a DVD mm-hmm. of the whole Motherload. Remember the motherload thing? Oh they, yeah, for sure. The, the four trucks, and one of the trucks had them in it. You know, maybe the box set is a truck. Well, that sounds fun, <laughs> right? I mean, seven hundred thousand dollars, and uh, you can park it in your backyard. Exactly. But I like your, you know, your thought about maybe doing some kind of roundtable thing, kind of, kind of like on the anniversary of puppets when when they flew Michael Wagner over to Germany. Yeah, had Fleming there, and they just had a discussion about it. Was it. David would, David Frick, who kind of yeah yeah MD'd like, that. So I mean, like that would be really cool. Like if the, you know they filmed something where the band and Bob Rock sit down and, and just you know reflect on the record, I would love to watch them. Like I'll tell that. you what I'd love too, man, is like a um, a classic album style thing where they sit down together with all the tapes at a console, mm. and maybe because because okay, you know, if you like this era, which we well documented, we do definitely one of my favorite eras. Sure, not only of them, but of really of any band of any music, including this, my beloved sixties and seventies. So that's saying a lot, and. um What's really interesting about that time is the sounds. You know, they loosened up on the whole James playing all the rhythms. So you've got a lot of really great left and right Kirk and uh, James interplay with the guitars. Yeah. The drums and bass sound great because Bob Rock is such a great engineer and great producer. It'd be cool to have them sit down on a console and pull faders up and down and say, you know, we've got Kirk over here doing an, doing a, a polyrhythm or, or an, uh, you know, a, uh, a syncopated thing to James, but with a flanger and a wah pedal. 
here's what that sounds like by itself. Here's what that sounds mm-hmm. like when you bring it in concert with the rest of the band or I would love I don't to know, hear that just, stuff. stuff like that. I mean, you know, I feel like that would even be interesting for a really like sort of um, calculated record like Puppets, let alone a more experimental, you know, record. Yeah, and there's and there's probably a lot of stuff going on that maybe you can only slightly hear in in, in headphones. Yeah, um, that it would be fun to hear that kind of stuff soloed and, and pulled up by itself. Um, yeah, count me in if they do that. <laughs> well, I'm here for it. I mean, do they? I I just can't do all the math right now and think about it. But do they tend tend to release these on the years that? The albums came out. They are like anniversary pieces. Is that yes. that's been the case? It's like the it's like the thirtieth anniversary box sets. So yeah, I mean that's going to be we're years away from this coming out if that's the case. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, when, when, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the first one was what ninety uh, six. Yeah. So yeah, there's still still four more years. But I mean, it's crazy. They're, I mean, they're starting to compile stuff now. You know. So it, I'm sure it'll be special. I mean, they they got four years to put this together. Well, I'm certainly going to buy it. That's all I know. I'm actually really... I mean, if, if, if you could tell me, you know, however many years ago, they're going to make a deluxe deep dive box set into every album they ever made, this would be the one I would most look forward to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And here we are, uh, you know, I guess at the very beginning stages of it. All right, very cool. The next thing in the news is Super 7 is releasing a reaction figure of Cliff Burton on February 10th. And Brian Liu, I, see, I follow him on uh, Instagram, and he's like... He's one of the dudes at this company that I I, I got to imagine he's the guy in the boardroom going, we got to make these action figures of these great thrash metal icons because they, they're doing one of Paul Bailoff also from oh, okay. Exodus. And this is a guy who he co-wrote or co-contributed to the book, The Murder in the Front Row book. Right, yeah. So he was there at Ruthie's. He, he was there pre-Ruthie's. He was in the Metallica mansion getting drunk with these knuckleheads. He's one of their longtime OG friends, mm-hmm. him and the Harold Oyman guy. Yeah. And so they made one of Cliff Burton, according to Brian's Instagram, where he's, which he's got a pretty interesting Instagram page. He posts a lot of like concert stubs of like where he was on this day in 1982 at seeing, you know, whatever, an early version of yeah. Anthrax at the whatever the fuck. It's That's pretty fun. cool. That's fun. He said that he worked with the Cliff Burton family, which is cool. We're very friends cool. with them over there. And they were developing it for 18 months. Wow. The thing that it made me think of, now obviously this guy knew Cliff, he was friends with Cliff, and he's working closely with Cliff's family, who also, I'm guessing, knew Cliff. Pretty sure. uh, (laughs) It does make me wonder, though, like what Cliff himself, how he would feel about being an action figure or, you know, like I just, I do wonder about where he would sit with some of this stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd imagine he might be flattered, but... Or, or if it was like a one-off thing that someone just made for him, I think he'd probably get a kick out of it. But as far as like you know, mass production thing that you know that is for sale, who knows? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't. If someone made an action figure of me, I'd be like, oh, that's sweet. No one's gonna buy them, but that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I would buy the one of you. That's true. My sister would probably buy one as well. So like, would, there's two for sale. Then I would stick it with voodoo pins and pee on it. See and what happened to you in real life. Yeah, yeah, it would probably work. There's a show that me and you are playing as of the airing of this episode. It'll be the next day, but you play in this band that I have with Rachel called Attention Machine, and we're playing at this thing that she does in town, right? Mm-hmm. It's called The Shit List, where she has a bunch of different artists come out and play a couple of songs, and there's a house band. Well, we're opening the show with our band, Attention Machine, right? but the house band guitar player got COVID, and I've been asked to be in the house band now. Oh, you're doing that too? Yeah, which is fun but i gotta learn a lot of songs but it's a lot of homework yeah i made a joke to my friend derek who's one of the featured artists i said well the, the guitar player's name is justin ostrander who's a friend of mine 
big session guitar player in town. But I did make the joke that I'm like, oh, I guess the uh, the doll I have that looks like Justin that I keep in the freezer, I guess I can go ahead and throw that away now, <laughs> now that now that he's caught like pneumonia and COVID. Pull the pins out. Just sort of a dark voodoo joke. No big whoop. I mean, who doesn't love good voodoo comedy, right? <laughs> Dude, voodoo comedy doesn't get as yeah, it doesn't get enough attention. Right? That's right. Some nice voodoo <laughs> jokes. I'm sure James will like it with Fixer and all. Okay, so that's the news. Um, we had to do some of our last few episodes kind of quick. The result of that is that we have a shitload of new patrons that I want to say thank you to. So uh, if you don't know, the Patreon is a way for you to support the show. You can give a dollar, you can give five dollars, ten dollars, all the way up to fifty bucks. Mm-hmm. We give you all sorts of in- you know incentives and gifts and rewards for that. We do a bunch of giveaways and contests, which we are doing at some point. We have these things. We just need to be home enough from the road long enough to figure out how to give them away. But <laughs> exactly. We are giving away a Black Album Deluxe box set, and we're giving away two, the water bottles, yeah. two awesome water cool water bottles that are donated to us by your Orca, friend's company, yeah. which is called Orca. Yep. Um, but at the very least, we give people a shout-out to say thank you because it really means a lot to us even here on year six, the support over there at Patreon. So I'm going to read these first five names, Ethan, if you want to read the last five. Thank you to Brian Gibbons, Jason Billadu, Jeff Hutchinson, Keith Folly, Dan Chalice. Billy Plutt, Daniel Anderson, John Cartmel, Jesus uh, Bermudez, and Chris Dugan. Awesome, All right. guys. Thank, Thank you, you so very much. much, everybody. That's so really kind. Appreciate and we're, that. Uh, oh, yeah. We're excited you're there and I uh, hope you're uh, digging all the content that, uh, that we willingly provide. You want, yeah. You get like an email when you join up for Patreon with like a down with downloads to all the bonus stuff over there. Mm-hmm. Plus, you get thrown in the hat when we do these giveaways and stuff. And we throw a bunch of parties and everyone knows what the deal is at Patreon. I, I believe we have one of the most generous Patreons of any podcast I'm aware of. We definitely do. So, anyways. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You'll hear a commercial for how to get involved with that later, but all of you, you know, past, present, and future that are supporting us at that level, it really means a lot. Um, If you really want to keep up with us, with our day-to-days, especially as Ethan and I are out on tour, we got to see um, a couple of Metal Up Your Podcast family members just this weekend. In Boston, we saw Dave Ferraro and his lovely wife, and in New York, I didn't get to say hi to them, but we got to be around uh, Sarah Sobeck. With Sarah Van herself and Gene Froman. That's right. Yeah, I spent a little time with them after the show and hung out. It was great to see them, of course. And oh, and Christian Post also was. That's in, right. Was yeah. in Boston. So we all. I mean, we we all went out to a bar after the show and hung out together for hours. So, you know, it's it's really fun that we get to do that. And the way for you to see where we're at on tour usually is through the socials. So mm-hmm. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Amazon Music, and Spotify. Do we want to address any of the Spotify stuff? We're. I'm sure we're going to be getting uh, emails about this. I'm surprised we haven't yet, actually. Yeah. You know. Um, so there's a bunch of stuff going on with Spotify because Neil Young, who is a personal musical and uh, just, you know, just in general a hero of mine, sort of famously over the last week pulled his music from Spotify because he disagrees with Spotify giving a platform to Joe Rogan, who he believes is spreading misinformation about COVID on his extremely popular podcast. I believe Joe Rogan's podcast gets 11 million listens per episode it's pretty insane it's the biggest podcast in the world and he puts out several a week i mean which is he's getting a lot more ears than even mainstream news sources which is actually Mm -hmm. part part of it is argued the problem so neil young pulled his music out of basically just protest and saying i don't i don't dig that shit and i don't want anyone i don't want my music over there right um joni mitchell followed nas lofgren from the e street band followed and there's generally a huge conversation. We're on Spotify. I don't think you and I have had any conversations about pulling our podcast off Spotify. Right, right. Um, 
what do we want to say? Do we want to just say uh, we we stay out of it? Is that is it as I mean, simple I, as that? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, listen. At the end of the day, you know, it's you know, some people will like all torp about Neil Young doing that and like, oh, who cares? He's this old guy, blah blah blah. But it's like it's Neil being Neil. I mean, Neil, yeah. Neil, he, he's always when he stands for something, he does he doesn't he doesn't back down, you know. And so I admire him for that, you know. Yeah. And, and that was his choice. And totally. also, you know. Joe, you know, no one's forcing anyone to listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. You don't right. have to listen to it and give it your right. support. Um, Joe Rogan did put out like a six, seven minute video a, yeah, few, a few days ago. And I thought he had a lot of good stuff to say. You know, I, he t- talked about getting, he wants to get better and wants, you know. I did too. But, but like anything in this kind of current climate, he got ripped for that. I, yeah. I, I mean, maybe I'm kind of a simpleton. Maybe I'm a dummy. I don't know. To me, he was saying, hey, listen, I get it. Um, I've had people on that that have like alternative views about this stuff. And I need to have more people on that to counter that. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, I, I thought that was in good faith. He's, they're going to start putting a disclaimer before each episode that has, you know, controversial content about like public health. Right. I thought that was cool. Um, I, I do think that some of the, uh, some of the stuff's been a little unfair. He's definitely had people on that sort of, you know, endorse the more, standard narrative about the virus that it's mm-hmm. quite serious and that the you know that the vaccine is are helpful and so i don't know i, I kind of thought the apology was fine i agree with you no one's forcing anyone to listen to him it's an entertainment podcast and right. i get i get that the amount of people who listen to him <clears throat> changes maybe some of the culpability but yeah i i feel like maybe just don't listen to him if it <laughs> if it bums you out i think yeah. neil, i think neil splitting is very much on brand with neil has had a lot of intellectual uh, you know, honesty throughout his entire career, and I I respect the shit out of Neil Young mm-hmm, and for support sure. and support him taking a hit on his music, you know, to make a stand. And I don't know, it's it's a murky issue, and I, I don't really yeah. fall squarely either on either side of it. Yeah, I'm kind of other with you on that. I think other than that, I think people have the right to kind of figure out their own shit. Yeah, for sure. And the the one thing about that this whole ordeal that I that I do actually kind of appreciate is that it it once again opens up the conversation about, you know, Spotify and how they actually, you know, treat musicians and the royalty rates and all that stuff. Yeah. And that you know, that's a bit of a byproduct of this happening. And I I you know, I'm glad that that you know, gets you know, people reminded every once in a while and stuff like that. That is a great know. point, dude. That is a great um, point because you and I that that's another thing that kind of annoyed me is I I I I'll be honest with our audience. I generally kind of am sympathetic to the Joe Rogan side of this only because I don't think certain sections of political discourse should try to deplatform or silence people for dissent. I just think that's scary. Mm-hmm. I don't listen to him when he talks about COVID because I disagree with him about COVID, frankly. And I don't, I just don't listen to those. I, right, I, don't, yeah. I choose not to listen to that because um, I'm a big boy and I make my, make up my own mind. <laughs> but I will say this, you know, it it took everyone thinking he's a piece of shit, which I don't think is the case, to finally come around to what you and I have been saying for years now, which is Spotify is a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you know, if you're upset that Joe Rogan has a podcast and that lots of people like it, and you want to blame Spotify, how about the fact that for years we've been telling you that those people are ripping off the artists who make the music that you love, ourselves included. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if if you're gonna leave because you think Joe Rogan's a a, a jerk, fine, but you should have. <laughs> Should have left a long time ago uh, over more important <laughs> things, which are that they actively yeah. legislatively fight to keep from paying artists more money. Yeah, artists are the only reason they have a product. We generate everything that they sell you. Mm-hmm. 
and Correct. they actively fight to take money out of our pockets. So anyway, it's it's pretty insane. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like 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 you, like you just said, I would I would prefer if people are going to leave a platform like that than to do it for a reason like you just explained. You know. And and listen, I want to say this too. If you don't do it, I get it. We're on Spotify. Um, my music is on Spotify. It's 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 you know. There's nothing we can do about it. It's, it's right, a, yeah. We have been sort of fucked and backed into a corner, and I don't have the leverage that Neil Young has to leave. And mm-hmm. so, you know, uh, two, the two things can exist at once, you know, and I think all we can really do is, like, just point towards what doesn't work about it and hope that it can inspire people to make responsible decisions with how they consume art. Right, right yeah. And and if anyone listening wants to kind of get a deeper dive into that world of the Spotify thing and, we and did streaming it, right? services, yeah, yeah, check out our interview with Kevin Erickson, which is episode 226. We did kind of go deep on that, so which I'm really proud of. Yeah, so Kevin Erickson, who, by, which, by the way, what was cool about Kevin is he very wisely doesn't really, he's not anti or pro Spotify. What Kevin Erickson is, he works for a company called the what's it called? The Future of Future of, Future of Music Coalition. The Future of Music Coalition, where he's basically like, what he actually cares about is the future of music. How are artists going to continue making music with these current models? Mm-hmm. And so, his whole thing is about just spreading awareness and and like advocating for legislative change and how artists are compensated. So, if Spotify, I mean, Spotify could do what Napster did. Napster was the greatest villain ever, right? To the to recorded music, right? And now Napster is, is one of the highest payouts on a on a pay, <laughs> on insane, a paid subscription yeah. platform. So Spotify might become like a great champion of artists in the future. Who knows? But things need to change, and that's kind of what that episode's about. All right. right. So um, thank you for bearing with us. I just know we we're going to get asked about that. It's a really big thing happening in culture right now. It would be a little weird if we didn't talk about it. Exactly. Yeah. But here's the deal. No more needs to be said. There's that's where we stand, right? That was yeah, like there it is, right there. To mellow up your podcast position, and, Ethan, and it's done, honey. <laughs> and Ethan and I don't really, we've never done this, and we never will. We don't really judge either side of it. Wherever you may fall out there, we have a very diverse listenership, and I see both sides of all of it. Honestly, all mm-hmm. right. Easiest way to get a hold of us: tell us your thoughts, write about your Metallica story, praise us in general, or whatever you want is metal up your podcast show <laughs> at gmail.com. We're going to hop there now and check in on the Metal Beat Podcast family before we revisit our wonderful conversation with the great Johnny Z. All right, let's go. All right, our first email is from Justin Becker. He says, hey guys, love the show. This may have been covered, so I, if so, I apologize. Would it be crazy for the boys to contemplate releasing Isolated Cliff Baselines as a separate album? I would certainly be very interested. Keep up the solid work, Justin Becker. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think they'll ever do that, honestly. Um, Not as an album. I mean, I could see them making stems available for some sort of uh, remix, like let the fans remix a song, mm-hmm. or like maybe for like fifth members. I mean, they're definitely going to put a price tag on it. Whatever right, it for I sure. Mean, or... Or like the uh, the classic albums idea you were talking about earlier, like some, if they did something like that where they pulled up Master of Puppets and did and did that. What's most ironic about? I mean, t- to me, Cliff Cliff Burton is the Jimi Hendrix of bass, as has been said many times. Right. I hundred percent agree. He's he's just easily top five bass player, innovator, blah blah blah. I, and and honestly, uh, a lot of his bass parts are kind of buried on Metallica albums. Yeah, but they really are. The irony is that there's no album I want to hear the bass stems on more. 
than the one that Jason played on, which is, of course, Injustice for All. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, if, we, if, if, there's, yeah, if there's a bass line we want to hear, it's that one. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think they'll ever like put out an album. I, that just doesn't make any sense. But like, yeah. I could see them, I don't know, making them available behind some sort of paywall. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know a lot of artists have done the cool thing where like they'll send you the stems and you can mix shit. I, I don't yeah. know how they deal with that. Like, I know Beck did that. Uh, Trent Reznor did that on the With Teeth record. So he, I don't know how. Yeah. So what did you can't like put it out or anything, right? Like how? No, did that I think work? it was just more. I don't. I don't see. I don't know all the details about how Trent Reznor did it. I just know that you could download like a zip file, and it was stems. It was just the drums, just the guitars, whatever. But it was and, wasn't it like groups of? It wasn't like all hundred and eighty stems mm-hmm. that I'm sure in a Nine Inch Nails song. It's probably like groups. It's oh yeah, it's it's totally groups. There was like one for all the keyboards, one yeah, for the bass, and all right. that stuff. You know, so. Um, uh, as far as like yeah, someone releasing that, I mean, I'm sure that they, I'm sure they were keeping a close eye on that. I would guess it is but. a cool idea. I mean, I would definitely like to hear it. Yeah, you know. Um, thanks, Justin, for the idea. Very cool. John Rivera walk, writes in and says, "Hey guys, I just want to say," and he says, "This is not a knock against us." Okay, okay. He says, "I'm so happy that you're done with the never-ending blacklist listening party. While you guys make everything entertaining, almost every moment of that album was torture." He says, sure, Darius Record did a fine version of Nothing Else Matters, and a couple others were presentable, but most of it was agonizing. Wow, okay. He says, I'm not mad that Metallica sponsored or curated the album. I respect them from doing it. Happy for those of you who enjoyed it or were looking for something like this. It's just not for me. Truthfully, I hate cover songs. I don't care if you quote-unquote make it your own or perform it verbatim. I've always hated listening to people attempt to cover Beatles songs, for example. He says, what makes the Beatles is the sound of the four of them together, whether it's John or Paul's voice and Ringo's drums, you get the idea, which I agree, I get the I get the idea. He says, would you remake yep. Coming to America? I don't care who stands in, it's Eddie and Arsenio, period. <laughs> period. He says, would you remake The Godfather? I can't even discuss this rationally. I, I would feel offended by remakes of Coming to America and yeah. The Godfather. Certain movies, yeah, would definitely be would definitely be weird. I mean, dude, I was even skeptical of the remake of Coming, not the remake, but the sequel of Coming to America with all the same original cast. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I had a great time seeing. It was great, super fun, but not well, not as good as the original. By a of long course shot. not. No, no, it's not. It's not near as good as the original. But it was a it was a good time. I mean, it's you know they're they're doing a sequel thirty years later. So and we're gonna we're, the, that the it's a good time part. We're gonna get to that because that'll be and anyway. Let me get to it. So he says, Clint, it'd be like watching Michael Jordan highlights only if they were performed by someone else. Think Dave Mustaine. <laughs> He says, now to take the greatest metal music of all time, regardless of your view of the Black Album specifically, and have it performed by lesser performers just doesn't interest me at all, and I suspect I'm not alone in that. In most cases, it was like bad karaoke. He says, again, I'm not mad the boys did it, just like the barrage of Black Album marketing. I'm sure it's not Lars and James sitting in a room trying to figure out how to annoy everybody. I'm willing to bet it's management. It's just that the Blacklist and its ilk are not for me, and I'm pretty happy now that we're past it. I don't do any of the forums or anything, but I'd like to see what the other listeners think. Thanks for everything, guys. John Rivera. Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of, I think that was our general vibe, too, was like, let's just get, I mean, I don't think if I did a Metallica podcast, I would have listened to every one of those songs. Right, yeah. I mean, you know, I will say this, I was I was very surprised by a lot of them. Yeah, me too. I, you know, when I first kind of skimmed through it, I, I was like, okay, there's maybe four or five that are going to be cool on here, but... Once we did that deep dive, then it was like, oh shit, and discovering new artists too. You know, I I think my net my net result ending is that I I'm glad I did it. Right. Yeah. For sure. But it doesn't it definitely wasn't something I was looking for, and I you know, it, for me it being part of it being good was like a nice little bonus. Like, mm-hmm. I'd rather hear original material. I would honestly, at the end of the day, I'd rather hear the black album than really any of those songs. Yeah. For and, sure. Uh, I guess that's really his point. Uh, to see anyone else do 
Jordan highlights would be a novelty. It'd be mm-hmm. like, oh, I'd rather just watch the, you know, <laughs> the actual highlights get, from the- get it from the source, you know? Yeah, exactly. John, I'm guessing you're not a big fan of uh, the Cover World, uh, World Blacken series. <laughs> hey, well, by, must, by the way, dude. And we just do those for fun, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. And speaking of, man, uh, Clint and I have casually talked about, we should probably do no, another one of those this year. I covered Weezer's version of Enter Sandman. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. Uh, I did. Uh, started one on uh, My Friend of Misery. Nice. Yeah. Let's just do all Black Album songs. In fact, let's just scrap the whole Johnny Z episode we have planned for today and just talk about the Black Album. Let's let's do that, and I think we should also just put out uh, a split EP where we only do Nothing Else Matters like four times each. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Um, next email from Brian K. Thanks, right, John. Next. Appreciate that, dude. Thank you, man. Uh, Brian K. says just started listening to your podcast, and all caps, I am loving it. I found Metallica's podcast about the Black Album and figured I should find more Metallica content to listen to. Came across your podcast and saw you did an episode on one of my favorite songs by the Boys, Fixer. I love the episode and figured I'd drop you into my podcast rotation. I went back and picked a few episodes, and when I saw the Woodstock 99 episode, I downloaded it and listened to it immediately. Having been to Woodstock 99, I watched the documentary on Netflix and wanted to hear what you guys thought. Having been there and experienced it all firsthand, it was bad. It was difficult, but we had the time of our lives, and it's one, of the, it's one thing in my memories that we'll always look back on in a positive light. The Metallica set on that Saturday night was exceptional. 150,000 people singing every lyric still gives me goosebumps. My girlfriend and I had an, uh, an unusual brush with death that night when a tall, gaunt, older gentleman um, who looked like the creepy old fucker from Poltergeist 2. <laughs> nice. You're all going to die here. Um, came walking past us, pounding a, seven foot, uh, p- uh, pounding a seven-foot staff on the ground to die, die, die as the crowd roared along with creeping death. The dude just stood there pounding his staff into the grass. <laughs> this is really funny. I have this image in my head now, too. It's great. And it looked like he was he was scanning the crowd for his next soul to steal. We thought we were tripping, and after a song or two, he drifted off into the crowd, and he was gone for the night. I've seen Metallica 13 times, including the Woodstock show. I've always been blown away. Uh, if I get to see them again, I have already been told by my 15-year-old stepdaughter that she will kill me if I don't take her. I recently took her to her first metal show to see Killswitch Engage and Slipknot, and she was in awe. Metallica, uh, Metallica show would make her head explode. Keep up the good fight, and I'll be listening. Well, thanks, Brian. It's very kind. We're glad you're on the ride with us, man. If he doesn't take his 15-year-old stepdaughter to see Metallica, she's going to hire a tall, gaunt, older gentleman who looks like the guy from Poltergeist 2 mm-hmm. who will be pounding a seven-foot staff on the ground to take his life. That's right. So no pressure, Brian. All right. Our next email is from Billy Plutt, who's a new patron at the highest level, by the way. So thank you, Billy, so Amazing. much for your support. It really means a lot to us. He says, hey, guys. Well, I finally did it. Eight months ago, I discovered this glorious podcast through my Spotify, and although I haven't listened to every episode yet, I've gone through enough to know that I will be a part of this thing. I know my chosen streaming service isn't your favorite. He says, see, I've listened to you guys enough to at least know that. It did ultimately lead me to you and make me want to become a top-tier patron for what you do for what is basically the best band in the entire world. We've all established this already, I hope. Metallica is literally the best thrash metal band to walk the planet. If there was any question, I hope that clears it up for everyone. I feel like in the last year, I've been making a lot of really big pronouncements of that ilk, that they are the best metal band of all time. Yeah. Period. A period. The Beatles. The Beatles of metal. Yes, the Beatles of metal. Exactly. I just, I can't see it. I can't see any other bands that come close. Well, I can see a few that come close. Iron Maiden and Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. But I just can't see putting them above Metallica. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, when, I, you, I, when you take every like relevant category, like songs, longevity, 
you know, uh, pushing themselves as artists, records sold, tours, grossing, merch, the, you know, the iconic nature of the band. It's just, mm -hmm. they've, they've got it all yeah. by, by a long shot. I'm not going to disagree with you at all. <laughs> yeah, that's easy. All right, he says, anyway, I hope this reads okay. I'm using my phone to type this, so my typing style might be more like text message. That's fine. Um, he says, I didn't care for the format on the Patreon site, so this route was better for me. As I type this, I'm actually listening to your Cliff and Mall Part 2 episode as I have the video playing on YouTube on my 70-inch, uh, I guess, but on mute TV. I'm listening through earbuds on my phone. Oh, I got it. He's very technolog technologically oh, yeah. wired Sounds up like it. over there. Uh, he says, I have the video synced perfectly to you guys. So he's watching us, but listening to the podcast. That's cool. In space. In uh, space. <laughs> he says, I just wanted to shout out to you guys because what you do for the band that we all love is what I needed in my life. I have no one to talk to Metallica with at all. I have lots of friends and family, don't get me wrong, and they all know of my love for the Four Horsemen. But nobody is as passionate about them as I am. Clint and Ethan, you've both opened up this happiness inside of me as I scrolled through all your episodes that can only be described as in the way I felt when I bought my first Metallica CD and brought it home and opened it. And seeing the photos of what the guys looked like in the booklet, the scratchy-looking font the lyrics were written in, and whatever else you feel when you know you're about to discover a world you know you want to be a part of. I have felt that way. Like, um, I remember the first time I put in Kid A by Radiohead, and it starts with a song called Everything in Its Right Place. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with that song? A, a bit, yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not deep into Radiohead like you are, but... Well, this was in the movie Vanilla Sky, and it's it's on a very popular record. But anyway, yeah. I just remember thinking within the first 40 seconds of that song, this is a ride that I'm going to be on. You yeah. know, like, it's just a right. pretty exciting thing. I know exactly what he's talking about right there. He says, I'll be 37 in July, and I was 12 when I got into these guys, but I'll let you guess what album I started with. Ha, ha, ha. All right. He says, I just needed to reach out and thank you both for what you do. What an awesome band to be able to have this kind of power that can reach out in such a positive way and bring people together from all parts of the globe to share their passion for not only Metallica, but everything and everyone that essentially made them who they were, who they are, and how they will be looked at for decades to come in the music world. Thanks again, guys. Can't wait for more episodes and hope to talk to you soon. Billy. Billy. Thanks, Billy. Awesome email, Billy. Really appreciate that. Appreciate the support. I agree with you, dude, and I'm glad we could be a part of that for you. Heck yeah. And uh, I think you're, you must be a member of the Geek Squad if you're, uh, your house is wired up like that. <laughs> Fancy. He has a Geek Squad car just right in the driveway. Yeah, totally. He doesn't even work at Best Buy. He's, he just had a just car had, right. painted that way. Yeah, Right. He had it wrapped. <laughs> he had the Geek Squad wrapping. All right. Our last email is from Carl Walsh. He says, what's the story, horse? I don't know what that means, by the way. Is that a greeting? In, I didn't in, understand Dublin? that either. I, okay, I don't well, know. Yeah. You can write us again and explain it. Or not. I don't know. Uh, Carl Walsh from Dublin, Ireland here. Just emailing to say how thankful I am for the podcast. I started listening in February last year, and it helped me get through the worst of the lockdowns last year. As of November, I've caught up and I'm up to date. Well, that's cool. On a recent Blacklist episode, you guys listened to the uh, Dermot Kennedy cover of Nothing Else Matters. I thought it was hilarious how Clint said if he had that voice, he'd just be out singing. You'd never see me again. No one would. Or if he saw you, you'd just be singing. <laughs> no, I would just be singing. I would be, yeah, I wouldn't even be alone on a mountain. I would just be so famous. Mm -hmm. I would just be so famous that everyone, even my dearest friends and family, bye. <laughs> I sing like an angel now. I can't help it. I'm up Sorry. in heaven. I'm up in heaven with God and all the angels, just singing beautifully. That's just. There's nothing else for me to do. There's nothing left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no more speaking words anymore. Everything is sung too. It's like <laughs> if you're, you know, if you're, you're you're picking up a book, you're singing everything off the pages. Yeah. Um, and, I'm, and I'm never coming back from it. Yeah. And that's okay, man. I no, mean, yeah. That's I wouldn't why, judge you. 
That's why God did not give me that gift, because I would not be a great steward of it. I'd be a jackass. He, he, he wants your feet on the ground, is what he wants. Exactly. Anyways, uh, Carl goes on to say, my fiance, who is not a Metallica fan at all, is a big fan of Dermot Kennedy. He's quite popular here. He's Irish, obviously. Uh, so I showed her this part of Metal Up Your Podcast. She, A, also thought Clint's comments were hilarious. B, thought you got your guys' pronunciation of Dermot was hilarious. Uh, so much, so much so that whenever he's on the radio, we both look at uh, uh, look at each other and say Dermot in honor of your podcast. Uh, just to clarify, his name is Der- the name Dermot is quite common in Ireland and it's pronounced Dermot. Okay, like a, like a catcher's mitt. Dermot. There it is. One final thing: I'm going to see the boys in Spain and Portugal at their respective festivals with my little brother uh, in July in three weeks. I'm sorry, in in uh, in July, three weeks before my wedding, and I would love to do the Port- Portugal metal tales if possible. Thanks again, Clint Ethan. You make Mondays worth waiting for. Cheers, Carl. I prefer to think of it as Dermot, like Mott's apple juice. Yeah, Mott's. Yeah, with like or the, Mott the, the hopple. Uh, I'm just thinking of the the Mott's apple juices or apple sauces that you got in your little lunch at school. Yeah, you peel back the thing with a little plastic spoon. Does Callie make you one of those when you go on tour? She makes you a little lunch pail. A little lunch pail, an applesauce. It has um, one lunch in it for the whole tour. <laughs> I gotta. I have to ration it for you sure. Have to be really careful. Uh, yeah, well, I guess we were pronouncing that wrong. Dermot. Dermot Kennedy. I prefer to call him Dermot. Dermot sounds... I mean, listen, I know that the English language, especially in America, can get kind of messed up, but I don't usually pronounce anything with an O in it with an I. Here's what I can... Yeah, here's what I can promise I'm not going to say it's... Wow, it's really hit out today. Here's what I can promise you guys. Like, if I find, like, the magic bean stalk and I plant the bean in this in the ground and it grows a stalk to heaven and i go up there and i'm roaming around with the giants and maybe a genie shows up and gives me one wish or whatever and i wish to sing as beautifully as him mm-hmm. i will then officially change my name not to dermot to dermot right. kennedy that's right and then i'll go on tour whenever he goes on tour and i'll play the venue right down the street but i'll sell more tickets than him that's right yeah and i'll just that'll be what i do with the rest of my life well, I'll start a podcast about it. <laughs> yes, you know, and we'll have people, you know, you know, instead of metal tales, you know, it'll be called something else. Let me, you know, reporting back from uh, Dermot's shows. Yeah, and let me ask you this: as we leave the email portal, if you found uh, a magical bag of beans, or maybe someone sold them to you, and you planted them in your backyard, and a beanstalk grew in the sky, would you climb it, or would you be too scared? Uh, I I really don't like heights, but okay. I would probably start to climb it you wouldn't like call nasa or call the government or call a friend or you would i would definitely i mean i'd, I'd run inside and get my wife and be like you're not going to believe what just happened outside <laughs> <laughs> there's a beanstalk nobody would believe me i'm like you get get your ass out here right now and look at this fucking thing going into the sky um <sighs> yeah i'd probably hit up text a photo with a couple of people i'd be like yo clint check this come on come on over if you want to climb this thing with me i think i'd be too scared to climb it I, I mean, at a certain height, I would probably, yeah, I would get too scared. And are, I mean, are they sturdy? Are beanstalks sturdy? Is it going to sway with the wind? You know. I mean, I'm guessing there was a magic one that like grew into the sky where giants roam. Then nothing we know is true, and, right? And all magic is possible. Um, so in that sense, you know, uh, there's been a you know the, the the pearl of great price. Like everything will now be pre or post beanstalk mm, revelation. That's right. Um, but I would think I can't. If giants roam the earth and shit and live in the clouds and magic's real, I can't leave my kid here. Like, I can't go up there and maybe die. Right, yeah. So, and I think I would actually even just, in general, be scared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, w- it would be pretty frightening. I mean, like I said, I, the height thing would just, you know, after, I'm, I'm cool if I'm like, you know, if, when I've you know been on my roof cleaning the gutters out or up in a tree, cutting a limb down, whatever. But a beanstalk into the clouds? Yeah, I don't know. That's pretty high. 
we read the stories and we like to think that, oh yeah, we'd be climbing that bitch in a heartbeat. But I bet everyone would be pretty scared. Pretty scared of what's up there and pretty scared of the heights. Or, pretty scared of the whole thing in general. Or maybe you get above the clouds and all it is is a bunch of um, mushrooms you can run on and collect coins like in Super Mario Brothers. That'd be awesome. And then you find a warp zone, i.e. maybe it's more like a time machine kind of thing. Right. But then do you have to fight like a real life Bowser? What was Bowser? A dinosaur? He, he was like a, yeah, like a dinosaur. A lizard or something? Well, kind of dinosaur-y or whatever. And also anyway. you find out that you have a princess you have to save. It's just really crazy. All right. Well, if you want to write in, mail up your podcast show at gmail.com and let us know just very briefly. I'm just curious. We'll do a little test sample. If you found some magical beans and planted them in a beanstalk that was climbable, it was durable enough to support the weight of an average human being into the sky, would you climb it? Let us mm-hmm. know. I'm curious. Yeah. Inquiring minds want to know. And with that, we will now exit the email corner. Let me bid you adieu. Okay, well, that's going to be it for us today. Enjoy uh, revisiting our time with Johnny Z. Um, I know he will be missed. He's a, a, a huge part of the reason that we all even get together every week to talk about our favorite band, Metallica. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, lots of love to his surviving family and very grateful for the mark he has left on the metal community. Absolutely, yeah. And again, go check out his uh, his audiobook, Heavy Tales. It, it really is fun, a fun listen. And... Uh, yeah, he's going to be greatly missed. We appreciate his time uh, that, that he gave us a year and a half ago, and uh, hope you guys enjoy it again. All right, peace. Adios. Hey, everyone. Clinton Ethan here, and we want to tell you about a little thing called Patreon. Patreon is an easy and interactive way to support the people who make the things that you love. For as little as five bucks a month, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast can continue to grow in quality and content. That's equivalent to a cup of coffee or a beer once a month. Not only is it easy and affordable, but we've made it a priority since day one to give back to our Patreon community. We've given away deluxe box sets, rare vinyl, black and whiskey, concert tickets to SM2 and Slane Castle, all four of our Cover Our World Black and EPs, 26 quarantine covers, and Lunar Satan demos, invitations to exclusive Zoom happy hours, the ability to ask our guests like Jay Weinberg of Slipknot, Lizzie Hale, and members of the Metallica crew your very own questions, and eligibility for our Metal Tale series where you can be a guest on Metal Up Your Podcast and tell us all about a notable Metallica show you've been to. Subscribe to Patreon today and immediately get access to years' worth of bonus content. Thank you for supporting the people who make the things that you love. Peace. Adios. I can't talk about it anymore. It's giving me a headache. Here, take two of these. Ah, new print. Little, yellow, different. All right, so John, here we are. Thank you so much for being here on Metal Up Your Podcast. What an honor. What a treat to talk to you, legendary in the Metallica pantheon. And uh, we will have known a lot about what's going on with you. Of course, the book's revealing and tells us a lot. Everyone should go get the book. We're giving away two copies of the book, so thanks to your publisher for helping us do that. The, the, the question I thought of, you know, when, when this started to get rolling is like, what was the impetus to write a book now? Like, why now? Why the book? Well, I was still managing Venom two years ago, Venom Inc. And it was keeping me a little busy in the end of my days uh, in the music business. And then I decided to retire dead stop. Nothing. No advice. No nothing. And I basically was sitting around for two months retired, losing my mind, 
and someone told me a story about me that was totally untrue. <laughs> so I said, you know what? Maybe I'll just tell the story the best I can. Get it right. With whatever limited memory I still have left while I have it, you know? What's the story you were told about yourself that's not true? Oh, I don't remember. It just... Somebody was uh, told something that wasn't correct, and somebody went nuclear on him. Hmm. Yeah. And the guy said, you're going all Johnny Z on me. <laughs> and I said, what the hell is going Johnny Z on me, man? I never lost my temper. I may have lost my mind, but <laughs> I didn't lose my temper. No, I kept it cool, I think. I think I did. Well, I, I, I finished up the audiobook today on, on my drive back uh, from a, a very socially distant vacation my wife and I took to the woods. And, uh, man, if, if it was that story that turned out to be untrue that was, that was the catalyst for you wanting to write this book, you did a hell of a job, man. I really enjoyed listening to it. And uh, Thank there was, you. Well, you're welcome, man. And there were so many things in there. You know, I mean, obviously our podcast is, is based around Metallica and uh, – you know, there's so many things that we think we know because we've been doing this for, you know, three and a half years. And listening to your book today, it's like, wow, there's so many little details that I never would have thought of or I never even knew that were so fascinating and were told so well by you. Thank you. I really appreciate hearing that. That's cool. You know, for someone like you who has an amazing story to tell, how does someone like you get linked up with a publisher or someone to help you write the book? You did the audio Well, the publisher I never went for. I didn't want anybody to tell me how to write the book. I didn't want anybody to tell me I'm illiterate. I didn't want anybody to tell me I should write it like a Rhodes Scholar. I wanted to write it in Johnny Z. And I basically didn't, just didn't want to be involved with anybody telling me what to do. That's why I had Megaforce Records and I worked for myself my entire life in a DIY atmosphere. Mm. So we said, let's publish the book. Ourself. So the book was written, everything about it is all DIY through the management company, Craze Management, which used to be Metallica's management company yeah. way back when. And uh, the audio book, however, came at a later time when somebody who I knew in the audio book publishing business, just as a fluke, approached me. To say, hey, and I said, hey, back. And it was like, what are you doing now? And I said what I was doing. And he goes, did you think about making an audio book? And I said, I even tried to do an audio book. I did that myself, but it came out terrible. Oh, guys. <laughs> Marsha, my wife, heard the book and said, Johnny, there's no way you're going to do this. You know, there's bad and there's awful and this sucks. <laughs> so... You know, we just uh, didn't put it out. I even sent this to some friends and I asked them their opinion. And they said to me, Johnny, you just can't do it. So I went to a publisher. He basically gave me the resources and told me to go into a real studio with a real engineer and a producer. And we spent two weeks on this audiobook. Wow. Well, there was a lot of editing. My yeah. voice goes in a few hours. Right, right. It just doesn't last. I'm sure people don't really think about what's really involved in that, like just reading and orating, and your, yeah, your voice goes. And 
I imagine that you've got someone trying to encourage you to keep it sort of like the same level, the same energy. So I can see how that could be more time consuming. I might take that for granted having never done it. Well, there's other things too, like make sure you have the same mic setting tomorrow that you had the day today. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you had yesterday, make sure everything is at the same levels and make sure your voice has the same vibe when you come back. Exactly. Yeah. Right, right. Believe it or not, I lose it all the time. Right. <laughs> I lose it, especially when you're reading your own words. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, what a you trip. Know? And I tried to tell it, not read it. I try, I don't yeah. know. If you heard the audio book, and, you know, I, I told it the best I can. Well, I so think I'm you did proud it. of the product. I think you did a fantastic job, man. And I, and speaking of the, the the DIY approach to the the, the book and the audio book, I mean, I, I I think from what I understand about your whole story in this book is that, I mean, that's how you started all the way back to you know rock and roll heaven, your re- your record store that was that was in a f- the corner of a flea market, you know, you know, with you and your wife just you know buying picture discs discs and rare imports and you know trying to find stuff that people in that area wanted. I mean, you you guys did it from the ground up and and. I think that's in your blood, man. And, and that was the only way you could do this book. It's the only way. I'm a real spoiled, rotten kid that's 68 years old today. <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't have anybody tell me what to do and where to put the box and where to put the check. <laughs> you know, I just All right. I just can't. I, I just don't do it. And then when someone yells at me because I'm always doing something wrong. If you hear my dog, what can I say? They're always part of the interview. <laughs> oh, you're all good. We love dogs. It's all right. I, you know, I, I just couldn't take criticism. So, and if people criticize me, like for my book, I know I did my best. Right. It was me. I have me to blame. You know what I'm saying? That kind of thing. I live with that. Right, right, right. Yeah, but I just don't like working with, uh, having other people tell me what to do. It's... uh it sucks, man. So what was oh, it yeah. like? What was it like at that time in that part of the country starting a record store? I mean, is it difficult to start a record store? What's involved even with that? Well, here's the whole thing, guys. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> I really didn't know what I was doing. I love my metal, you know? Yeah. I said, if I like Angel Witch, someone likes Angel Witch. If I like Raven, somebody likes Raven. If I like Venom, someone likes Venom. If I like Motorhead, hey, man, someone likes Motorhead and Scorpions and Sabbath and all that. And and I don't see any record stores selling that stuff. So I'm going to go to England and get it all and bring it here where it's happening. That's a smart move, man. I mean, because there was definitely a demand for it. I know that in, in, you know, in the early chapters of the book, you talk about, you know, you and your wife you know, not necessarily uh, getting as many customers as you were hoping for or selling these imports and stuff like that. And there's that one moment where you talk about, you know, banging your head against the wall and kind of getting like, you know, the divine intervention happened and all of a sudden your attitude going was just keep moving forward. Well, guys, you know, I talk about divine intervention a lot of my life. I'm probably very spiritual and I'm very grateful because if you know me, like I mentioned in the book, you can't believe this all happened to me. Right. I'm being honest with you. I had all the right answers. I know all the things to do. I was driven by the force of the Lord. I have no idea what to say. I, I'm insane. <laughs> but I knew the answers. And I believed. Yeah. I had I had faith in Metallica. Okay. Speaking of that little band, 
How did that? <laughs> so from what from the from the tales we've been told throughout our fandom, you know, it all starts with you getting a copy of the No Life to Leather Leather demo. How did that right. tape? How did that tape get in your hands? What so what are your some of your thoughts about the first time you know your first listen through? Obviously, blew well, away. You know, bring us into that place. Well, it's you know it's it's all it's all in the book, but I will say this: mm-hmm. someone brought that into my house, a customer into my shop, Rock and Roll Heaven. Mm-hmm. They brought it into the store, and I don't play demos unless I took them home and played them, because most of them stank, <laughs> and I never heard of Metallica. I had no idea who they were, but these people said, "Johnny, we know you. You've recommended music to us." All our days here, you're always right. I'm telling you, I'm right. Put this tape in the in the cassette player. Listen to it. Now I listened to it through broken speakers. You know, I didn't have much. But the second I heard, I don't remember what song was first, but I think the mechanics put me in, in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, and on the Mab tape, I think it was live from the Mab. There were two cassettes. Uh, there was a version of Am I Evil, I think, mm-hmm. that I'm just trying to remember. But I think that also was like pretty, pretty sick. Whatever it was, I was so blown away by the music that I didn't know what to do. I was left speechless. And I wanted to be part of it. I was throwing concerts in the area. I had 12 vacant spots for opening bands. And I said, I could get Metallica to play every one of those spots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, opening up a Venom Rods, Vandenberg, Twisted Sister, and they height, you know, selling out clubs to the end of the walls. But clubs at all 2000, the Fountain Casino in New York, in, in New Jersey. You did the right thing, man, by, uh, by jumping on that demo. And I think you mentioned in the book that within what within the hour you're running to the payphone to call the number that's on the cassette which i believe was lars's number at the time there was no phone in the store there was no such thing as cell phones at the time of course mm-hmm. so i took some change out of the drawer and on the back of no life to leather was the name kj dort and i called kj and kj basically put me in touch with Lars Ulrich who called me that night at dinner. And he also wrote a letter introducing himself in the band to me, a very professional letter, I must admit. Yeah, that's That's awesome. You know, I still have that letter today where I don't know is, you know, but I have it (laughs) somewhere. Somewhere. That's the one thing I held on to. That became the conversation where I offered the boys 12 shows in the Northeast, they knew who I was because the word was out that there was a madman bringing Raven and Venom and Anvil to the States. Hmm. That's awesome. And how, so, did you, how did you do that? I mean, you love these new wave of British heavy metal bands from across the pond. How are you 
how are you going? Are you just looking up their management? Are you calling their managers, writing letters? Well, the thing you got to do is look at what you got to work with. And what I had to work with was a record from Raven, for instance, and on it it said Neat Records. I found out who ran Neat Records. I called him up. I told him what I wanted to do. He told me how much it would cost. And I said, oh, my God. <laughs> and Marsha and I figured out how we're going to raise it and get him over here. Yeah. And we did. The same thing with Anvil. It's amazing to think about you both doing that pre-internet, the amount of work to generate to actually find all this information, get a hold of the people, follow up, of course, raise the money, then follow up Just with getting the them over Just a phone bill. Here. Yeah, right, right, right. Oh, yeah. Long distance calls are no joke back then. Calling Europe at $20 a call in San Francisco. Oh, my God, man. <laughs> and we had no money. When I say no money, I mean no money. So what was Marsha's vibe when, you, when you're when you getting all these big ideas that would, of course, end up paying off big time for you and for all of us? Was she looking at you like you were nuts? Or was she generally supportive? I mean, that's, that's a big thing to ask your, par well, your partner, right? Marsha's a strange, strange woman. <laughs> Marsha is a strange, strange woman, <laughs> and she was very, very supportive of everything that I ever did. And I explained to her as I was running out of the store, the, the flea market, to go to the payphone that I have to have something to do with this band. I must get involved with this band's life, career, future, everything. And Marsha basically, you know, just made sure I had enough change to make a phone call and go over time if need be, you know? Yeah, so she uh, was really supportive. That's so awesome. She never doubted me. And when she did, it wasn't really, it, it was a miracle. Everything I'm telling you, it, it's incredible just how it all came together. Uh, one of the stories I talk about is like we have the successful show at Anvil and sell out the place. 800 people never heard of Anvil in their life, but they came because we had so many customers in the store Yeah, and they wanted to feel this new metal. And we get back from the store, from the show, the most glorious night. It was our first show ever sold out. Everybody's saying this was the greatest. Get back to the house. It's all dark. We didn't pay our electric bill. <laughs> oh, man. So I had to get the power back on in the house. I mean, that's what Marsha lived with. Right, right. Amazing. And she wasn't, I mean, she's an intense woman. You wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of Marsha's Azula. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> no, 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 you would not. There, there's some great great stuff you tell uh, about her in the book, uh, uh, you know, of her just busting her butt. Like when you're doing other things, she's driving two hours to go pick up all these imports and grabbing records that weren't on her list to bring back to the shop and, you know, doing all sorts of things with the shows to make things happen. And you, you definitely more than convey not only uh, what a supportive uh, wife she was during all this, but uh, also encouraging and also a very hard worker to, to help maintain it all with you. Well, I had to say thank you. Hmm. Yeah, The book is a love story, too. And, right. and, and there's a big thank you in there to a lot of people, especially Marsha, especially Metal Maria, you know? Yeah. There are people 
I'm well, still I'm really... still looking in the book for you to thank Metal Up Your Podcast and Clint Wells, but maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's in a chapter later that I haven't read yet. Hey, you want to know something? This is a very good interview, guys. Hey, thank you. For part very, two. I'm very comfortable. Good, good. It's, it's late at night and I'm kicked back. Good. That's a that's a high compliment. Well, so do you do you remember anything about the first conversation with Lars? What, you know, you got this little Danish kid. He, you're connecting him as the drummer. Anything, yeah, anything well, in particular? But you got to realize, and I don't know if you could feel it, but do you know what, with all you do with Metallica, do you know what punk is? What a real punk attitude is? Sure, yeah. yeah. Do you know that yes. thrash is not just a music, it's a way of life, it's a way Absolutely. of being? Absolutely. And this was my first contact with thrash in its life form. Mm. I can't explain it to you. It was religious. This was punk attitude personified. They walked into my house. They met me. The guy who was going to promote them didn't give a shit. Saw my bar. Then I helped myself. And it wasn't, could I pour a drink? It was like, which bottle do you want to take <laughs> with? Um, they were really thrashes. They came to the record store and they just, they were just wild, crazy guys. And they're very different now. Yeah, right. But I'm sure it took a long time to slow down that burning craziness that they mm -hmm. had when they were young. And you can hear it on all those records too, especially Kill 'Em All. You, you, everything you're describing is, you can hear it clearly in the album. When Kill 'Em All was in, being produced in the studio, it was really funny. You know, they really trusted us and everything was going fine. And then all of a sudden, James calls me and he goes, Hey, John, they're telling me the record's finished. And I went and I listened to it. It sounded like an Orman Brothers record. <laughs> really? Great leads, great vocals. But I mean, thrashy, but... You know, that heavy chunk and I go to James I go what happened he goes he never let me put in my parts hmm. and wow when he did transform the whole entire album so was he talking about Paul Curcio when he when he's talking about he never let me put my parts in was, was that the, the yeah. producer right so that's kind of how it, what that made me think of is just how green everybody was they're just coming out there well we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit too I was curious so you hear No Luck to Leather, you got to work with this band. You talk to Lars, you write your letter. You've got 12 shows or a bunch of shows. How long before that phone call and those shows were they showing up in New York and crashing at your house or New Jersey or wherever it was? Well, they were crashing at my house the second they got there. Right. But you have to realize that uh, I had Raven in my house at times, Anvil in my house, Venom in my house, Metallica in my house. Sometimes they all were there at the same time. Wow. 
It yeah. was Castle Megaforce. Plus, I had every tape <laughs> trader and their grandmother come by spelling it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you name the guy who has the biggest podcast or whatever in the country or running whatever record company, they're all sleeping on my floor in those days. Yeah. So what was your first impression of the boys? Madness. I, I felt I made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if I could harness this energy. Right, right, right. Okay. You know, I didn't know that I could. I felt that I could. But after talking to Lars a little bit, we and Cliff, it started to come together. I would imagine when you first saw them live up there, too, one of the first shows you put them on, that probably changed a lot, too. Well, Metallica started off a sloppy band, you know. Right. Very sloppy, but amazing. Yeah. Amazing, because the more sloppy they were, the more intense they were. Yeah. And James, man, he was holy. He's like a holy man up there. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, I agree. You know, he's he's pretty intense. Yeah, absolutely. He knows what to say. He shines. Very commanding. He can command an audience and and make you yeah. give a shit and pay attention. What was there anything that you noticed like from that first meeting and they're crashing at your house? Any tension with Dave? Because you know. Dave would soon be replaced by Kirk on the making of the album, and would you were you honing in on any of that, or was that a surprise to you? Well, well, Dave, the first time we met, we all went to the flea market, and he was throwing a ball over the front of the flea market where all the people came out, and you know, just trashed. Mm. And I said, I don't know, is this right? I don't know. Do I accept this? I don't know. What did I get myself into? Is this crazy? Right. And then it continued with everybody, actually, and Dave, not just Dave, the intense alcoholical frenzy throughout the entire time we were together. But when they went on stage, it all came together pretty intensely, man. Yeah, right. It all came together. And Dave, as sloshed as he ever was, I always used to say, man, you know, I don't know when they used to come to me, but they used to say, you never know what you're going to get. But on stage, he always was right. Were they confiding in you even early in the, that they were maybe thinking about making a change in the position or were they just not talking much about that? Well, they were afraid to talk to me about it, I think, at first because they didn't know what I was going to do. Right. Was I just going to send them home or... Because for them, you you were a big break for them. A guy's interested in putting on some shows, bringing them to the East Coast for the first time, maybe even going to sign them to their first record deal. So they were maybe scared of losing that. Well, I don't know what they were. They don't show signs of fear, but it could be true. Yeah. They probably figured at least they were better off with me than without me. And as far as Dave went, they did talk to me about Dave, but I just said, look, going forward in the big picture... With all the that's going to be invested and and put into them, physically, financially, mentally, everything, it may be better if they had a stabler unit. Mm -hmm. So I thought that they did the right business decision for themselves. Were you aware of Kirk Hammett? Were you aware of Exodus? I was aware of the name Kirk. I was told he was really really good, and I was really shocked because by the time I got there, the day he got there, and they were rehearsing already. He already knew all the leads and everything. Right, right. So wow. when we went right away to do some of the shows that Dave was going to do, he was right in there. 
says a lot about Kirk coming in that prepared, really taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. Oh, he came in. He was a young kid, man. I thought he was like 17 when he came in. Right. <laughs> you know, I thought he was this little kid. What about first impressions of Cliff? Cliff was a darling. Mm. I loved Cliff, really, by the way. I loved everything about Cliff. He talked to me all the time. You know, I, I smoke herb, he smokes herb, so I had someone to smoke herb with while everybody was drinking. So we got along infamously. He even, at night, I always tell the story, read nursery rhymes to my daughter, Ricky, you know, because the house was so full of noise and madness. Hmm. Just to wow. let her help her go to sleep at night. Amazing. Wow. That's, That's so cool. Great guy. And great I memory. was with Cliff the day before he died because <clears throat> I was out on that Anthrax Metallica tour that day. Yeah. Wow. And I said goodbye to him as they left England. And I happened to be with Cliff that day. He was the one who I would hang with. Yeah. So uh, that's my feeling about Cliff. Great guy. And I sad, very sad. Right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. There's not there's not a lot of uh, stories you either read or, or with people we've talked to that knew Cliff, even when, you know, obviously having Ray, we had Ray Burton on the show before he passed. And you you never hear anything bad about Cliff Burton. It's like he had this aura about him that everyone loved him. And he seemed like he cared about like just so much life and, and whether that was you or your daughter re, you know reading her lullabies before bed uh just seemed like such a great kind soul he always had a shit-eating grin <laughs> yeah. you know he always had his bass strapped to his side he was always playing riffs what can i say you know what can i say he was just one really wonderful guy he really was not because he's immortalized or anything. It's just because he was a wonderful guy. What a yeah. what a cool thing that he was able to be in your house and and especially kill them all. So let's talk about kill them all. So how did Paul Curcio come to be? You, you know, you basically say to the boys, "I want to manage you. You're killer. Let's make a, an album." And you created Megaforce for Kill Em All, right? For Metallica's debut album. Is that correct? That is correct. So you, they probably would have worked with any producer you brought in. So did you know Paul Curcio? What's the connection with him? Well, I had done shows with Manowar and I became close to Joey and Ross the Boss. And Joey and Ross the Boss, believe it or not, you may know of them. They're pretty rugged to talk to, but they were great with me. You know, everybody was okay with me. There were no facades, no nothing. And Ross produced the Soldiers of Metal record for Anthrax. Right. And I liked and respected his ability to do that job. And I was speaking to the two of them about studios and where could I go when I got no money? And what could I do? And who could do a metal album and make it sound like metal in the United States? Right. You know, who has recorded the proper metal record. I mean, if you think about it, nobody. It didn't really exist in America. No. And when we went into the studio, I had a guy who worked with guitar players. He worked with uh, Santana and uh, the Doobie Brothers, whatever it was. Right. He had a bit of a name. I got a producer who worked with Manowar and I knew at least 
that heavy was coming. <laughs> and we went in the studio. It was up to the band to provide the sound. I went there night after night after night when they were mixing the Kill Em All album. And they had Van Halen up to reference. Which album? Do you remember which album? Yeah, the first. And it was headache after headache. But eventually we got what we got. And I knew we couldn't come home with a record that wasn't sonically better than the demos. Because between you and me, every fan, their ear knew what the demo sounded like already. And those people I had to convert from the demo to the vinyl. Right, of course. And I had to be better. And it had to sound better. You just put on Hit the Lights and you know this is a great album. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. Yeah. So that's the story. And Corsio had no big background. Nobody had a big background. It was all just by the seat of your pants, you know? It's such a tough question to answer, maybe. But all these years later, it's like, did you guys have a sense in that room getting the playbacks? Or maybe the first time you heard a test pressing of the master a sense that you were, I mean, almost inventing thrash metal as we know it, like doing something really special? Well, we knew this was fresh. It was new, yeah, right. It was new. But remember something. We were working with Raven. Mm -hmm. We were working with Anvil. We were very aware of Motorhead. So, you know, we knew about Holocaust and Angel Witch. So we just were molding this to be the American leader actually the leader of America in that sound, but to be part of the British Euro network of metal bands. Right. Based in America. What was going on on the East Coast, like local East Coast? You just had Anthrax and Overkill. That's it, yeah. Nothing much. Right. It was such a new sound. They weren't sound. getting it. We, we've talked a lot about on the show about Thrash being this really cool blend of all that, all that new wave of British heavy metal that you've talked about, loving all that stuff. With that punk rock aesthetic that you also talked about, bringing in the motorhead right. into that and the punk rock, it was just right. such a new sound in 81 and 82 and 83. Yes, it was. And that was the purpose. You helped bring it to us, dude. It's crazy. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> so Neither would we. So let's get from... So Kill em All comes out, and you've also got Raven, and they have their... Uh, we have the Kill em All for One tour, right? The famous Kill em All for right. One tour. That's right. So that was Metallica's really their first time to see the country in that way. Oh, yeah. And they were sharing kind of, it wasn't even a bus, was it? It was like a Winnebago type thing. Oh, uh, I put Metallica through the torches of the damned. <laughs> and they rose to every occasion. Yeah, yeah, they were hungry. Yeah, They were hungry and they were killers. And they went out on stage and they just ripped. They just went out and killed every night. What kind of venues was that tour? And like, what was the average audience cap? Was it like a couple of hundred kids, 500 kids? Well, you know, we did 500s, 200s, 300s, 100s, 80s, 800s in Chicago. We sold out the theater there. Mm -hmm. Oh, the, Met, the, the famous Metro show? The yeah, Metro the Metro show. show was yeah. I yeah. was there for that. That was amazing. You were there, yeah. huh? Oh yeah, I was announced. I announced the band on the stage. I'm cut. I cut myself out of the video. <laughs> Kirk trying to like let the the fans play his guitar a little bit, and then taking his guitar is one of my favorite videos <laughs> of all of Metallica history. When the fans well, just take that guitar, dude, it's hilarious. He goes, he took my guitar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he gave him my guitar. He didn't realize what he did. 
So you were doing what a lot of great managers do. You were hopping out on the road and maybe maybe carving out a, a couple of shows you would go to, then maybe you'd go back home. Or were you on the whole tour? No, no. I did exactly what you just said. I ended up in from Chicago. I went to uh, the California shows. When they had a bunch of shows before California, I did the coast, which was amazing. And what was amazing was that Raven were, was, were amazing in those days. They still are, but they were like magical, amazing, able to stand up to Metallica. It was a great package. Was Raven headlining or was it a co-headline? No, it was a headline Raven. Yeah, right. So Metallica's opening for Raven's nuts. Well, remember, I put out the Metallica album. It had sold maybe seven to 12,000. And Raven was at like 27,000. Uh, okay. And are you shipping, at this point, are you shipping all those albums or did you have a distributor? I had a distributor. Okay. That had to have been, I'd imagine, a bit of a tough tour to promote because back in those days, thrash metal's new. I think you talk about in your book, there was only, what, six radio stations across the country that would play Kill 'Em All? Yeah. So that had to have been tough to promote, especially in like Midwestern towns, maybe in the South, stuff like that. It was murder, man. It was absolute murder. If they didn't know what it was, the kids in the area, you couldn't reach them to get the word out. Yeah. If there was enough kid. Once we got the word out, people would come. Like Chicago, they knew what they were expecting. Because they had the album or they had the demo. They had No Life to Leather had reached those parts of the world. or They had everything. Yeah, they'd already heard it. It was coming. Yeah, and then we made a video there. I paid for a video. And that became the Cliff of All. And I don't know what happened to the Raven. You know, I, I just don't remember. Why did you, you said you cut yourself out of it? Because it's missing like the first 10 or 15 minutes, right? Yeah, I don't know what happened. Could I tell you, it was a real clusterfuck that night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they stole James's pedals and oh man, it was horrible. Yeah, interesting. The fans did? Somebody came in the back door and took his stuff. Wow. That sucks. Jeez. You know, and it, it wasn't like he had money to get a new one, you know? What were they like off, off the stage? Because, as you know, John and Ethan there are both touring musicians professionally. Some some of it's a big party. Some of it's just real boring. Some of it's just not a lot to do. You walk around, you go to coffee shops, you go to record stores. No, life was very interesting around Metallica. Mm -hmm. I'll just say that. They they were like the Ever-Ready or the Duracell Rabbit. I don't know which one of the Rabbit. <laughs> But they just kept on going. Right. Yeah. The, the Energizer Bunnies. Energizer Bunny. They're just like a bunch of Energizer Bunnies. So they probably made their own fun wherever they were, I imagine. Well, you know, I'm a little older than them. And I was there for everything they needed. But I wasn't there to go party with them and carry on because I couldn't keep up with them, first of all. Well, you also had a, a ship to uh, steer, essentially. You know, you're... Uh, going back to your DIY mentality, I mean, you're putting money into filming the Metro show. Uh, I believe in your book you mentioned uh, you what took out a second mortgage on your house to help fund Kill 'Em All. Well, I took out a second mortgage on my house in two banks. But so that I but took that, out that two loans for thirteen each. Wow. But, but it's going back to that you know that Johnny Z mentality. You got to do what you got to do because you you believe in it. You're passionate about it. You saw something in this band. And you'll do whatever you have to do to keep that ship moving. And uh, I believed so much. It's amazing. I believed. I saw it. What is today? I saw through my eyes. Right, right. You saw what it, what it could be. The Metallica we see I now. saw the whole thing. So 
after that tour, were the records starting to fly off? Was were you starting to really notice? Well, things were taking off, yeah. So then, is that is this at the point in the story when Electra comes knocking and you got to figure out this? Well, next step? what happened is that everybody was on my ass all of a sudden for Metallica when nobody wanted Metallica. But the deals for the future Ride the Lightning was so stupid and so moronic that I couldn't make a deal because they would have hurt the band's future because I felt they were so much more than the way they were being looked at. They were being looked at like an indie deal, and I was looking at this like a, uh, how could I explain it? Like a Frampton comes alive or right. something. Like, know, a, right. like, a, like a real arena act, a high-selling act. Right. So we couldn't meet on that. And then I had gone to a Lago about a Megaforce deal. You And in the conversations, we talked about Metallica. And for some reason, I mean, Michael and I are great buddies now. But for some reason, he never wanted to do a deal with me in it. So make it Electra exclusive. Right. He didn't want the Megaforce around. Well, and oh, okay. I, I want to make sure I, get, I want to make sure I get the timeline right too. You'd already recorded Lightning, right? The Seven Days of Hell tour, taking them through Copenhagen. Lightning was in the, was not out yet, but it had been recorded. The demo may have been floating of the advance. Gotcha. Okay. And so that's when Alago's like, "Hey, we want to put it out. Electro is going to have a bigger reach, or whatever." Which is great for you if they want to make a deal that includes you, but I guess there was some back and forth on that part. I, I thought I thought that it did between you and me for a while, and uh, I was, you know, look, it's common knowledge. It didn't have a happy ending at the Roseland Ballroom, where I had everybody come together and do the greatest showcase of three bands for an independent label. Yeah. Eventually, Raven got a deal, Anthrax got a deal, and Metallica right up front got a deal. But the deal did not include me, and they had already seen other managers, and that was it. That's the end of the story. Because you were hoping, at the very least, uh, even if they went with Elektra, they would still stick with you uh, as a manager. Absolutely. It was my journey with them that I was hoping for. Yeah. That's exactly correct. No more Megaforce, at least management. But you want it. That's the way it happened with Anthrax. We just kept the Megaforce logo, but yeah. I just managed Anthrax and uh, went on to do that for 11 years. Amazing. There were things I can't discuss now. Yeah, sure. Or ever. That's not going to be in the book. Of course. But there were lots of things that led up to the parting. I'll leave it at that. Sure, man. You know, uh, it took years for us to become great friends again. Which I know is the case, right? Because you, you're you sort of... Uh, I've, I've heard tales of you spotted at Metallica shows on the Hardwired Tour, etc. Why not? Why am I going to miss a good show? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And how about... I mean, Ethan and I talk about this. We saw the boys several times on the last tour. And even when they play those Kill em All songs in a stadium with 50,000 people playing Seek and Destroy, and it still works, it still kills, it still... It still translates. It's still powerful. You know? Yeah. And when I was out in Orlando, they dedicated it to me, which was oh, killer. very nice. Yeah. Amazing. You know, they always say something nice if I'm in the audience. And uh, 
it is what it is. You know? Sure. They were very good to me over the years and still are. And that's the way it is. I don't get into the business ends of things, but life is was fair in the end. Well, and we, and we, you know, us included, I mean, everyone in the Metallica universe knows that, you know, there wouldn't be a Metallica on Electra or with Q Prime or whatever. There wouldn't be the Metallica we know today if you weren't involved at the get-go. Uh, just, like I said before, steering that ship and just putting your heart and soul into this band. And, you know, you say in the book, you think that, you know, they would have still become superstars. But uh, I think that initial push and drive you had is a, a massive reason uh that kind of helped catapult them on that up upward uh, bound career, you know? Well, there was tons of energy in the retro boosters, mm-hmm. in, in the rocket ship, you know? Mm-hmm. There was a lot of fuel in those early stages that propelled it where it has to go. And what Electra told me in a meeting later on was that basically they had nothing to do. They just had to put the records out and feed them, feed the beast. <laughs> right, right, right. Because there wasn't the even much work. The breaking of the band nobody heard of was all done. Speaking about you know feeding the beast, I mean there there wasn't hardly any time between touring Kill 'Em All and going into writing and recording Ride the Lightning. Right, it was just like the machine had to keep going at that point. Well, one year the Kill 'Em All for one tour was just that one tour, right? It was kind of through the states one time. Yeah, and took however long, and then they were then it was time to yeah make a new album. But, you know, yeah. it, it, I mean, just looking at the resume and, and what Megaforce would go on to do even after that, it's like the Rocket Boosters were massive for that, too. I mean, I'm looking now at, like, obviously Overkill, Anthrax, Ministry, Fraley's Comet, Ace Fraley, Testament. Testament. Yeah. King's X. I mean, some amazing bands and records. Well, we didn't want to let the uh, letdown of the Roseland Ballroom stop us. It just gave me more time and energy to put in the record company, which became huge. I didn't have to give 20 hours a day to Metallica, one half hour to Anthrax, one half hour to Raven. You know, it was all free. So everything worked out pretty much, you know. When you were on the road with the boys over in Europe, the like you said, you were hanging out with Cliff the day before he was killed in the bus accident. Yeah. So you're obviously over there working day to day with Anthrax at that point, but you're still sort of mingling through the Metallica camp. So I'm guessing by then it was all cool and it was just fun to be out on tour. No, we were first feeling each other out for the first time. Oh, okay. It was our first real get together. It's just that Cliff and I were together like it was never, like nothing ever happened. What were you guys doing on the road just to hang out? Would you guys go to record stores or go to like pubs or? Oh, I don't know. I. I don't remember. I usually went to record companies and had meetings about press and where they're having dinner tonight and what they're doing for, for press before the show and, and making sure everything is moving right and catering is right. And I had all those things on my mind. I don't worry yeah. about what the country looks like. Well, so, John, we, we're going to move into the last part here. We don't want to take up too much of your time. Obviously, so grateful that you uh, are hanging out with us. Our, our listeners are going to absolutely love hearing from you. We have this All thing right. called Patreon where we have people who support the show and we let them ask our guests like you questions. And we got a ton of questions for you if you're down to answer some of these from some listeners. 
Let's see. Let's do a few. Yeah, let's do a few and see what happens. I'll, I'm going to skip the first one because it has to do with the, the firing of Dave Mustaine, which you kind of already explained. The question was, was, was there any management involvement in the firing of Dave Mustaine? But we kind of went through that already. And remember, the answer is really no. A uh, patron, uh, patron named Jay Middleton says, hey, John, do you seek out any new music for fun? And has there been any newer artists that you, uh, you've you seen that, that gave you that same feeling when you first or saw, uh, saw or heard Metallica? Nobody has given me the Metallica Ride the Lightning vibe. Nobody. In the non-metal world, I managed the band that I left because I just... It was in my head to leave. Yeah. They didn't fire me. I just couldn't do it anymore. And they were called, the band was called the Disco Biscuits. Yeah. They're not heavy metal. But when they're on, they're intense on stage. Right. That's about it. King's X has moved me. King's X has moved me. And Testament at times really knocked my socks off. Right. But today... If you ask me, like, what do I listen to to get my rocks off? I really love, like, Arch Enemy. Oh, they're great, yeah. You know, and I like Amon Amoth. That's sort of where my head's at right now. Okay. Here's an interesting question I have always wondered. I'm glad that this person asked this. Christian Post says, did you have any part in the change of the title from Metal Up Your Ass to Kill Em All? Well, I was sitting there when it happened. <laughs> Were you the guy saying we can't sell this with a dagger and a toilet, calling it metal up your ass? I was saying the distribution will not sell it under these conditions. Okay. And then the famous story is Cliff talking about, quote unquote, the man, the distributor, whomever, said just kill them all. And that's kind of how it, how it happened. Well, he was wearing a Green Beret shirt that said, kill them all, let God sort them out at the time. <laughs> Just in case anybody doesn't know. Okay. I've never and heard if they that. don't know, they found out here because it's, I never told anybody, but that's what he was wearing. So he just said, kill them all. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And, and hey, the rest is history. Good. It, it, sometimes it's funny when like a, a quick joke can actually turn into the, the best idea of the night. Uh, Bobby Anand asks, what's your favorite album that you released as part of Megaforce Records? Believe it or not, I'm going to say kill them all. I believe you. I, b- I, believe, I believe it. We believe you. <laughs> and he also asked, are there any regrets on bands that you passed on signing that you could have signed but passed on? I have no regrets on Pantera and, and Rob Zombie because at the time I was involved with ministry and my management career was really taking off. And we just they were in the middle of Lollapalooza and three million sales. So... I just have no regrets. I was just too busy. Let's see. Namarda says, oh, this is nice, John. She says, I don't have a question, but I just wanted to express my appreciation. Thank you for believing in Metallica and helping them get to where they are today. Well, that's nice. Cool. Uh, another one of those, Jesse House. No question in particular. Hopefully we get some good discussion about Anthrax. Oh, Anthrax in the early days. Any any tidbits about Anthrax in the early days? A lot of, obviously, crossover fans who love both bands so much. Well, I'm going to say, please get the audio book. Oh, there's great stories. Or the book, because there's tons about anthrax. I I just don't want to go into it all now. But if you love anthrax, this book is for you. I love anthrax, and I was absolutely digging the anthrax stories. No spoilers, but if you haven't gotten the the book or audiobook yet, get it. There's a a great bit about Scott Ian and demo tapes. That's all I'm going to say. 
Okay, right on. <laughs> hey, I love the answer. Get the book. That's what we're here to promote anyway. Get exactly. The, get the right book. Which, again, we are going to be giving away uh, two copies of the audiobook, thanks to uh, John and his publisher. Here's the last question. This is, and this is about New Jersey. This will be helpful for anyone who lives up there. Says uh, Brian King says, when passing through Old Bridge, New Jersey, what landmarks can people visit to remember the old scene? First of all, I don't know if you can see my shirt. Old Bridge oh, Militia Foundation. All right, tell us about that. The old Bridge. Well, it's the militia. It is the metal militia. But what I will say is that if you ever go down Route 516, there's a club there. It's a strip bar. And that used to be the hangout, the Club 516. It's right in an area of Old Bridge called Brown Town. And in that club, Metallica spent many a night. Venom spent many a night. More bands than you could ever imagine were in there air guitaring with us and headbanging to all the early metal as it was coming out. Amazing. And that 516 still stands, except it's a titty bar now. Just take some disinfectant and then enjoy the memories. <laughs> right. What about the uh, what about the brick and mortar where your record store was after you left the flea market? Is that still standing? No, they knocked down the flea market. What about the what about the the location you did after that? Uh, I think it's a hair salon. Okay, maybe we should go to that hair salon in Jersey and bring in some old boom boxes, blasting, kill them all, and <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> By the way, it's done all the time. It's done all the time. The bathroom in that rock and roll heaven was signed by every band you could ever imagine. Yeah. With their deepest and most bizarre thoughts. The entire, I'm talking Slayer, Metallica, Anthrax, you name it, it was in there. What about the house? What about the house you and Marsha shared that you mortgaged to pay for Kill Em All, that all these bands stayed Worth in? Worth a bit of money now. It stands, it's beautiful. People go by. The guy is a real hater of metal. <laughs> what? A real I was just about to ask about guy. The... And he'll chase you out of there with a shotgun. <laughs> wow. Which itself is kind of metal, ironically. <laughs> Why not? It's just interesting. I think about that kind of stuff often when it comes to either like uh, famous spots like that that have so much music history or maybe a popular filming location from a TV show. You know, if if you ended up purchasing a home that was used in something that people continually show up, I feel like it's just wasted energy to keep running people away. You're going to do that as long as you own the house. And if you sell it, the next guy's going to have to do it too. I say embrace it. Make it a tourist destination. Be like, oh, yeah. You want to see where they slept? That house could have been a museum. Mm, yeah. You know, sure. it definitely could have. But it's not. <laughs> Some mean guy lives there. We will use our, our powers for good and try to... We'll try to figure out what we can do about the mean shotgun guy that hates metal. <laughs> hey, John, thank you so much for your time. What a uh, truly, honestly, truly an honor to speak with you. And and uh, thank I, you. I know our listeners will feel the same way. Absolutely. The, the book's killer. We're grateful that we were able to speak and chat with you. So hopefully our paths will cross again down down the line. Hey, listen, guys, I'm surprised I never ran into you before. We could have done a lot. We'll do some more in the future. All right. Mm -hmm. 